Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. So Seleucus journalism essentially tries to look at it like, okay, well, these things are terrible, but there are definitely people who are trying to work towards some sort of a solution to like make sure that this doesn't happen again. So um, whether like, and that doesn't have to be like a catch-all, like it solved every problem. It could be like a small thing, like sm- uh, solving an aspect or of a problem, or, like being building blocks towards solving that problem. So that's kind of what I wanted to do with the games industry, because I kind of felt like that was a thing that was kind of lacking. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer. <laughs> Pronouns they, them. Spooky. This is Pixel Therapy Spooky, spooky. Edition. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> quick bit of news for everyone regarding our Pixel Therapy Patreon. Uh, that's it, This is not spooky, so sorry. We're going to take a break from the spookies. Uh, oh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, spookies, uh, just hold on. Sit back. We're going to come back to the spookies. Uh, so, so Spencer and I have made a couple quick adjustments, uh, or a couple small adjustments to our, our Patreon tiers that we just want to notify everyone about. Uh, mostly these were made just to simplify things and to increase the value of your subscription uh, if you're a Patreon supporter. We're all about value. All about value. We're bringing you high value, <laughs> high value content here. Uh, but here's what you need to know about these adjustments. Uh, we now have exactly two tiers on Patreon, just two uh, for the low, low price of just $2 a month. You, yes, you can gain access <laughs> to our monthly Patreon bonus cast uh, that we affectionately call Pixel Therapy Co-op Mode which features just Spencer and I chatting it up about all things video games. So if you love all of our playful banter, like that little spooky bit that we just <laughs> did right there, if that's up your alley uh, and, and the every other week episode isn't cutting it for you, you can sub at that $2 tier and get one whole extra session of Pixel Therapy Monthly for your listening pleasure. <laughs> And if you're feeling extra generous, anyone who subscribes to the Patreon for $5 or more a month will be included in our name in the credits segment, uh, which we're now going to read in every episode. So if you sub for $5 or more a month, you'll get a public thank you every time we record. And just as a side note, we do read the names based on subs from the previous month. So, uh, for example, if this is really getting you and you're like i'm gonna go sub to the their patreon right, right now. now right now right now today uh if you sub in october you're gonna uh you can expect to hear your names read in november uh and we do it that way just to make sure that folks get the whole month of thank yous regardless of when in the month they decide to join us uh you know the the patreon we do also occasionally post other content uh like thought pieces picks absurd and overly detailed spreadsheets tracking every game we want to play you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all of that's exclusive to our Patreon community, and it's a great way to get access to us. If any of that sounds like a dang good time, 
just go on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and check it out. And also before I get off of my soapbox, uh, I do want to mention because I'm not sure we really bring it up very often, but Pixel Therapy, this podcast is entirely funded by Spencer and I. Uh, We're not pulling any ad or network revenue from anywhere. This is just us making this little dream happen. And we gladly do it because we love doing it, but it's definitely not a free endeavor. Uh, We do compensate every guest we interview and every artist we work with because we believe in investing in our community and honoring the value of folks' time and energy. And there's, you know, there's a slew of other costs that goes into our hardware and software and hosting and all that fun tech stuff. So if you enjoy listening to Pixel Therapy, if we've ever made you chuckle or cry or maybe just think about something and you have the means, we would really appreciate you considering subscribing. Especially if we made you think about something. <laughs> just something, anything. If you've ever had a thought with us. <laughs> yeah, if you ever had a thought with us, uh, could you also maybe have a thought about considering subscribing to the Patreon? Uh, we just would very much. Thought. Just a second thought. If we could give you two thoughts today, could the second one be maybe I should subscribe to their Patreon? Um, But having said all that, I am now going to give uh, an extra special thank you to a couple of our generous supporters uh, who go by the names of Val and Genevieve, who did go to Patreon and subscribe at the name in the credits tier for the month of September. Thank you, Val and Genevieve, so much, uh, both of you, for your continued Mm -hmm. support of our show. We really, really appreciate it. And of course, one more time, if you want to get your name in the credits, if you want to get the monthly bonus episode, if any of this sounds fun or worthwhile, just head on over to that aforementioned patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and sign up today. All right, that's it. It's the end of my pitch. <laughs> and I promise we love you, even if you don't subscribe to us on Patreon. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, honestly, just listening to the show, being there, uh, we talk about Patreon because like, like Jamie said, we uh, do this all ourselves and it's a labor of love and we love all of you. Um, but if you're not supporting monetarily and supporting auditorily with your ears, <laughs> we love you just as much. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, fo- follows and downloads and sharing the podcast with your friends. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to support if uh, if the Patreon sub's not uh, in the cards for you. Oh, yeah. All right, Spencer. And <sighs> listeners, it's time to get cozy because it's fall. It's spooky season. It's spooky season. Woo-woo. So let's snuggle up. Pull up that armchair. Feel free to lie down on your couch. Throw a log on the fire. Oh, yeah. Throw two logs on the fire. Two logs. We're going to be a while. You know we're pretty verbose. That's uh, right. Mull <laughs> that cider. Cider mm, it up. Squeeze mm. an apple with your bare hands. Oh, my God. Is that possible? I don't think that's Scoop possible. a pumpkin's brains out. Okay, you're really taking this in a slightly different direction. I feel like I had one vibe I was trying to cultivate, and you got like both violent and gory. <laughs> uh, so we're on different, we're on different uh, spooky tracks here. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about our feelings now. Spencer, yeah. what are you playing? So on the spooky vibes, I've just I feel like I've been in pursuit of the perfect psychological thriller game people are fast forwarding (laughs) like great and the interview today is (laughs) you guys you all can't see but um i 
dyed my hair orange for spooky times. Yes, it's, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. It is fall. It is pumpkin or it is dying leaf orange. Um, it's just in time for the seeds. I really love Halloween. I've I've also like decorated for, for the first time Ooh. ever. And like, because I've always lived in an apartment, so I've never had the opportunity to just like go hard in the yeah. in the pumpkins. And so I've got big pumpkins, which are there to be big on my stairs. I have small yeah, yeah. pumpkins, which are there to be on my like hand railings and stuff. <laughs> and then I have these lights, like they're like they're kind of like icicle lights that, yeah, that kind yeah. of call come down from uh every few every couple feet that I've put along the inside of my front porch Ooh. and they twinkle and then around the lights are these witch hats so i have all what? these witch hats hanging from my porch blowing in the breeze and spookily oh twinkling and i did something i did something crazy i did something crazy <laughs> i went full <laughs> suburban soccer mom whoa and i got an a lawn inflatable yes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> It's like all these, it's 10 feet long of all the these pumpkins, book. like these big jack-o'-lanterns all smiling. And then there's a big black cat on one of the pumpkins. And it's like yes. a whole like spooky parade of oh pumpkins. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm real, I'm real jealous. No, I love those things because they blow up. It's so satisfying. They blow up in like five minutes. Then you have this huge thing just sitting on your lawn. <laughs> I'm I'm really kind of jealous because <laughs> I've also always lived in apartments. Mm. I also enjoy Halloween. I'm really excited to hopefully like get some trick or treaters for real yeah. this year. Oh yeah! But the like I want to do all that stuff you just named. Yeah. But I start thinking about it and I just I get sleepy oh, about yeah. the prospect of setting all those things up. Yeah. And it's so a lot. we have not done any decorating yet. Like I want it in theory, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to work for it. That's the beauty of the inflatable, my friend, because yeah. it is truly effortless. Like I was like, yes, the <laughs> idea of putting spooky spider webs all over all my bushes. It was great in theory. But then when I looked outside, I was like, I don't want to get on the yeah. ladder. But the inflatable, <laughs> it has the it has the wow factor of okay. someone who spent hours painstakingly decorating. Uh -huh. But what they don't know is that you just plugged it in and the magic of air did all the work. And it's this oh. big thing. I don't know. I love it. All right. Going to have to look <laughs> into that long term. I think we'll probably keep it a little more minimalist this year. Yeah. I do want to get some pumpkins. Uh, but Pro do, do you have to scoop those out, right? You have to scoop them out even if they're just sitting, even if you're no, not jack-o'-lantern. They can just them. vibe. Yeah, they don't get yeah. all, they don't get, they don't go, they don't. It, I mean, it's been humid this year. So yeah. Oh, is that what you're supposed to do? I don't know. I feel like uh, everyone I see, they just put a whole ass pumpkin on their front yard and then yeah, you just I'm compost just it. How quickly that's going to, yeah, turn into, get which in is show. fine. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, we can compost it when it, but I don't, yeah. I don't know if I want it to last a minute. I yeah. don't know. That's I told you this, smart. but I, I really want. And we're not going to get it because these things like sell out mm. right away. But if anyone knows what I'm talking about, there's like the 12 foot tall skeletons that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is an imposing statuesque <sighs> it's so creation. Cool. That's so cool. These like $500. Oh, my God. We'll probably never get one. But basically what I'm talking about is if if you Google a Home Depot giant skeleton, you'll probably be able to find it. But they are these enormous uh, skeletons <laughs> that you put in your yard that are like taller than the house. Like twice the size 
are taller and, than the whole house. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like a 12 foot tall skeleton. And I really, well, I guess if you have a two story house, they're probably not taller, but we have a one story okay. house. So the, uh, my grand idea would be to put this thing in the backyard and have it peeking over the top of the house because we live across the street from an elementary school. And <laughs> the idea of terrifying a bunch of children is highly amusing to me. Anyway, what are you playing? Oh, right. So back to the topic at hand. <laughs> Uh, you know, video um, games. Yeah, those guys. Like, so when I played Doki Doki Literature Club for the Nintendo Switch a couple months ago, I was just completely blown away at the way that I, I just feel like a visual novel is the perfect vehicle for a psychological thriller because mm. of mm-hmm. how much room it gives for your mind to fill in the blanks yeah. or to, you know, grow your own fear or to kind of like in the same way that you're reading a book, which I think can be even scarier than watching a horror movie because a horror movie is still someone else's vision of what is scary. But when you're reading a book, your mind is populating it in the most horrific way possible tailored to your experience. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I just feel like a visual novel, um, while there can be seen as sort of like technologically not as advanced as other games which is true they're not it's not just said about them it's also true i just i I feel like over the past year my respect for the medium has grown leaps and bounds um Mm -hmm. because there's still all you need is a little interactivity your brain is truly the the (laughs) the best the best high-tech CGI camera available. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we're like pitching, we're really out here pitching brains today. Know, I'm really like, I'm like, y'all, put down the video game. Just use your brains. Have you tried imagination? <laughs> Have you tried, right. Have you tried thinking about stuff? Anyway, this is why you should pay us two bucks a month on Patreon. Because yeah, look, we just made you think of something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, the game. I played a little game for the N- Nintendo Switch in honor of Hall- Halloween called Little Misfortune. <laughs> it was it came out for Mac and PC in 2019 um, and mobile and consoles the last year. Um, and it was developed and published by husband and wife team, um, Swedish studio Kill Monday Games. Uh, they're also known for their another kind of slow burn psychological th- spooky thriller type game called Fran Bow, uh, which I have not played. But in this game, uh, you play as the titular (laughs) Miss Fortune Hernandez Ramirez. So her first name is Miss Fortune. Yes. Miss Fortune with one S. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. Like not Miss, not Miss M-I-S-S space Fortune. (laughs) Yeah. Misfortune. The opposite of that. Like your name is Miss Fortune. Yeah. Uh, yeah made some choices yeah like like (laughs) someone made the decision to be like hey child f you um and i'm sorry i misspoke it's misfortune ramirez hernandez hernandez is her last name oh Um, and so you're this little child in a world a little swedish town uh where a bunch of children have mysteriously gone missing um Misfortune kind of like that's a thing, but she's got her own problems at home. Um, well, early in the her game, parents named her Misfortune. Well, yeah, so. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe they shouldn't have had a kid. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, maybe. maybe they didn't want a kid. Sounds like they didn't want a kid. <laughs> if the name didn't, if the name didn't 
tip that off for you, then her reality certainly will. Um, <laughs> you know, we've right off the bat, we've got a pretty sad, abusive, neglectful household Ugh. situation going on. Um, dad is not really in the picture. Mom is often drinking what misfortune calls juice, uh, but is pretty clear is something more uh, stronger than that. Um, and what you what you get the sense of is that misfortune spends a lot of time by herself um mm-hmm. she has uh lots of like forts in her bedroom um she has a very active imagination um she loves to carry glitter around and when she sees something um scary or um what's the word traumatic <laughs> Um, what's what's that old word? What's the other word for scary? Um, on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. She throws glitter on it and uh, almost it kind of the action of throwing glitter like she'll, she'll be like glitter for you and she'll throw glitter on on the thing that's scaring her. Like for example um, a, a dead animal that okay. had been killed um, mm-hmm. throwing the glitter kind of superimposes it with a child's drawing of like a happy animal with stars around it. And so you kind of get the sense that she uses the glitter as a, it's like a, a child's resilience, like the way Uh that you're kind of as a child able to tunnel vision your way through traumatic stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And just are able to compartmentalize to the point where you can move past things. Um, It's just sort of represented in that way. Um, And so, Misfortune is playing by herself and she suddenly hears a voice that she aptly decides to name Mr. Voice. And the voice tells her that she has the opportunity to play a game with him. And if she plays the game and makes it all the way to the end, he will gift her with eternal happiness. Oh boy. And immediately um, she decides that she loves to play the game because the eternal happiness is something that she'd love to give to her mother. Um, and even though her mother kind of ignores her and doesn't always seem happy to be around her, um, she hopes that giving her the eternal happiness um, will make her feel better. Um, I think something that's interesting about this game is that everyone other than Misfortune is wearing a mask. Um, like mm. You see people walking around um, wearing these almost kind of like the classic theater. What's that? Like the happy mask and the sad mask. Oh. Um, I know what you're talking about, but like the drama, the drama, I'm not sure. Comedy and tragedy. Is that what you're looking for? The the comedy and tragedy Uh, mask? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so it's like, like the world that you're living in is it's drawn like a children's book, almost Mm -hmm. like painted painterly. Um, And it kind of is this mixture of sweet and melancholy. like the tone of the game almost kind of reminds me of there's a series of short films called don't hug me. I'm scared. And it's kind of like a children's set, uh, like bright, vivid colors, cute, like creatures or household items, um, that have facial expressions or, uh, like they sing and play along together, like a children's puppet show, but there's a darkness kind of underpinning the whole thing. There's a, there's an unsettling wrongness that kind of slowly settles over the whole, uh, set and characters. Um, and maybe the lyrics 
become very disturbing or the music goes on too long or is too loud or there's they cut into a cake and blood starts spilling out and no one comments on it. Um, maybe the camera lingers on someone's face for so long that in a puppet's eyes, you start to wonder if instead of happiness, you're actually seeing fear <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> it's such a great description of that YouTube series. It's like, oh, it's, it's haunting, but it's hard to like describe. It's hard the, to pin why. Yeah, yeah. Like why it's so disturbing. Mm-hmm. Like it, Because as an adult, we don't expect, or as any uh, someone of any age, you these are the spaces you you feel like you know what to expect. And so when that's so easily and jarringly subverted, it's like extra horrifying. Um, that's kind of the vibe that I get from this game. Like it, like if you glanced at it, you would think that it's a sweet game about a little girl playing with imaginary friends. Um, but when you actually play the game, um, and and it's and it's it's beautiful masterfully done like i said i want to linger there for a second and say like the art and sort of the and so as i said sort of a visual novel um it's very much kind of like a uh interactive narrative adventure um you're moving left to right um through a changing scene you're 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 following mr voice as misfortune you're leaving the home you're leaving her house and sort of leading her um on an on an adventure to uh play games with this voice and also to sort of find um, Benjamin, who is a anthropomorphic fox that uh, Misfortune has been seeing popping up outside her window time and again um, and has developed something like a crush on him and wants to figure out who he is, where he comes Hmm. from. The voice that she is playing with, um, he hates the fox and uh, tries to tell her that fox are not foxes aren't trustworthy. Foxes um, are thieves. Uh, foxes are vermin. Um, and so there's immediately this sort of tension between like who does she trust? Um, mm-hmm. And as the player, um, the game sort of breaks the fourth wall a bit, where the voice um, the voice acknowledges you as the player and lets mm. you know that you know essentially you're kind of complicit in whatever is happening to misfortune um but but he's definitely not someone that you want to ally yourself with and i just think it creates uh just really entertaining narrative tension where you're almost kind of uh misfortune's unseen ally or her guardian angel trying to kind of push her in the right direction knowing that she wants to play with a voice who does not have her best interests at heart um mm-hmm. it just kind of creates this really interesting dynamic where like the voice is kind of like the narrator and the force driving the story and misfortune is the heroine but she's sort of like hapless and unwittingly falling into this plot and you are sort of this mediator trying to protect her from the voice slash narrator and see her through to the, but also play the game and see her through to the end. So it's just like a lot of players going on that I found yeah. very entertaining. Wow. Um, and, and especially to the psychological horror aspect, it's like, am I a bad person for continuing with this adventure knowing on some level that what I want to see is something scary or shocking. Um, Mm. But also this little child who is so sweetly voiced, um, like the voice acting of all of the characters is very rich and and incredibly well done. Um, But this character of misfortune, um, 
you know, because it's a visual novel, there's only a few animations for each, for, for her. Um, there's an animation of her like giggling. There's one of her, you know, crying or being upset. Um, but she also often falls, like she trips, she's very clumsy and, and she trips and falls. Um, but she's, she always gets back up and, and just the way that she, she's so resilient and charming and funny. She talks about herself as I'm a, I'm a little lady. I'm just a little lady. Um, and she is just a tiny little lady. Like she just that kind of childlike, um, like she, I think she's around like seven or eight, uh, maybe even younger, maybe, maybe, maybe like six or seven. Um, but Mm -hmm. right at that age when they just become like little people, like small versions of people that can say the most intelligent and poignant things, um, but also can be so silly and and still imaginative. And, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's just um, a character that you don't often, you know, have as the heroine of a story to begin with. Um, And, and kind of having that it's like the game is acknowledging that she's just a little a little baby uh, yeah. and you have a responsibility not just to be her but to like care for her yeah <laughs> um it reminds me too of just you know as everything does these days but like therapy stuff too about how there's always like a child within us and as the adult it living in the present we can heal by like caring for that child and trying to make the decisions that the parent figures who are in our lives couldn't or weren't making for us at the time that we needed it. Um, So, you know, this is a game that definitely deals with a lot of scary stuff. Like there's the overtly scary, like children are disappearing. No one seems to know why or care. I feel like I'm in a Stephen King novel kind of vibes, Mm, mm -hmm. Um, but also just things like, addiction or child abuse or, um, you know, misfortune saying things like, um, sometimes I have feeling like, like what is a feeling and, and, and the strength of feelings and how to manage emotions and what to do with them and seeing when adults around you so poorly managing their emotions and so poorly managing their impulses. Um, what does that mean for you? And, and how can that, be made less scary um death yeah. and and what that means and how it can come suddenly and uh what happens after and and just just a lot of big and small questions um and all wrapped up in this very like irreverent sometimes comical sometimes deeply shocking um but always surreal and and bittersweet uh, it, it's just, it's, it's packaged just delightfully. Um, and I found myself really, really enjoying it. Um, there's another artist, uh, Joan Cornella, who folks may also be very familiar with. Um, he's an artist whose work has often been described as like super disturbing or offensive. Um, he uses like really simplistic, like, uh, brightly colored like panels, um, kind of like a comic, um, but he'll kind of create these really, it's like using black humor to kind of explore the kind of darker sides of human nature um, and the, with these like wacky, unbelievable, um, darkly comic scenarios. 
Um, but he was talking about his work at one time and he has this quote where he says, I agree with the quote from Bill Hicks. I believe that there is an equality to all humanity. We all suck. <laughs> in my comics, my paintings, the characters look artificial and always have a big smile on their face, even though horrible things happen to them all the time. Everything is exaggerated, although a certain behavior has a ring of truth to it. Um, and he just kind of speaks to the fact that, like, you know, humor and suffering are kind of like endlessly connected. Um, mm -hmm. there's just, there's an element of pain in humor and there's also like darkness and truth within everything that we find funny. I think because as humans, we're just constantly dancing on the precipice of a huge, uh, vacuous ether and we don't know what's on the <laughs> other side of it and things can be, we're so fragile on this plane. And so like, if we can't laugh at it, you might go crazy. Um, and so I just, I do feel like this game really plays with that uh, and also just plays with the fact that as a game, um, you know, too, there's that added layer of interactivity that makes the stakes all the more high. Uh, and it's just, I don't want to say too, too much about the plot because I found it to be, it's not, it's not, not too long of a game. It's like, I don't know. I probably played it in five hours, okay. but someone faster than me could probably do it in like four or even less than that. Um, it's also something I forgot to mention is that it's mainly decision-making. Um, okay. Like you, you're moving through this story, you're, you're following the voice and then you're given choices. Like, do I cross the road or do I wait? Do I, um, I see a fish. Do I, do I take the fish with me or do I help it, uh, flop back into the water? Um, do I say this or do I say that? And the decisions you make, um, will affect how, how events play out, even though the end of the game is ultimately one ending. Um, okay. you can sort of create different, uh, sequences of events or uncover, uh, you know, different dialogue options depending on the choices that you make. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a good game, good little game, and perfect yeah. for for Spooktober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds incredibly fascinating. I'd never even heard of the game before when you said you were going to talk about it today. But I watched just watching the trailer. Um, well, there's so much more that you filled in there through what you were saying, but I was super intrigued by the trailer, even just that that concept of the the trailer really leans on in on like the voices prospect of like mm -hmm. what he's offering to misfortune and mm -hmm. the allure of the idea of eternal happiness. Is that mm -hmm. even which is kind of like a childish notion, right? That that would right. even be something you could pursue. But there's also I don't know. There was there was something very intriguing about that as a premise because mm -hmm. I think that's it, I I thought the game was more of a puzzle game so that's interesting mm -hmm. to hear that it's more of like a choose your own adventure from the trailer so I, I just this idea that you're you're working through all these scenarios you're going through all of this with this uh, you know kind of the carrot at the end of the stick being. Mm -hmm the idea that you would get eternal happiness and be able to give that to someone and solve all of their problems, which I think is an adult, uh, you know, 
you as an adult then playing that game, steering little misfortune through all of that Mm -hmm. and trying to uh, protect her. Like even if she were to attain this eternal happiness and try to give that to her mother, like what problems would that actually solve for her? Probably none. So she's already like setting herself up for disappointment. And the fact that it like positions you as a caretaker for her Mm. uh, in some way, that that just all sounds really fascinating. Like they're Mm -hmm. really putting you as a player in an interesting position. Uh, to try to navigate yeah just like you said like just a child's innocence and Mm -hmm. selflessness and just kind of being reminded of what that was like like I think as an adult uh like I you know you think about your own childhood from time to time and you think you feel the same as you did when you were a child but you're not the same um and I think a lot of healing from trauma from childhood trauma as an adult is like being reminded like um, you were five years old. Have you talked to a five-year-old lately? Do you know what a five-year-old talks like and sounds like and, and looks like and acts like? Because you're tell like my therapist would say, like, you're telling me about this thing that you went through when you were five as if it was like as if and you're talking about how you should be able to get over it or how you should be, you know, different by now. But have you met a five-year-old right now at, at your age? Because like that wasn't okay. And I think we tend to, as like trauma survivors, you know, we tend to like age ourselves in our minds and I, th- I think that's a way to cope and a way to like to move past it but when you're healing you have to look at it face head on and I think the way that this game um you know people of all ages or I mean maybe 14 and up should play this game but like I, I just think that the way that it um presents that to you is really unique to kind of have that opportunity to really see a small child and, and feel that that rush to like protect or to, or to spare them from the realities of the world. Um, it's just an important exercise as a trauma survivor too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's super interesting. How did you find this game? Good old Nintendo switch store. Thanks. Anxiety woke up at 4am. Didn't want to go back to bed. I also was like, like I said, it's Halloween time. And so yeah, I was like, yeah. I want to play something scary. And, and it's been hitting me recently that I don't know many like great horror games that aren't like overtly like, oh, it's zombies or gore or survive, mm-hmm. like survival horror in the sense that what's scary is that you're being attacked or chased or yeah. um, like I want to I want to kind of build a repertoire of of horror games that are grounded in something more um uh what's like else (laughs) something else just well it's kind of like a um i think so (laughs) many uh horror thriller games i really struggle to play games that are even a little bit scary because of the agency that you have as the player Mm. in in the situation i can watch very scary movies and like be mostly fine Mm. like it doesn't like impact me like i enjoy that but trying to play even a moderately scary game is really challenging for me because you have the agency of having to like move through the space there's a big yeah there's a distance that a film or a book creates uh that that actually controlling the character doesn't uh little misfortune kind of sounds like it by way of it being a visual novel and kind of limiting your agency and then Mm -hmm. even kind of positioning you as someone who's looking out for the main character in the story Mm -hmm. it's creating just enough distance i think that it uh and the focus is more on being generally creepy generally disturbing haunting 
um, rather than jump scare gore violence uh your life your life isn't being threatened so directly and mm-hmm. like maliciously it's there's more of a general vibe of like something is not right here mm. and that's creepy like yeah i guess I'd, I'd rather be generally disturbed than feel uh physically threatened <laughs> yeah if i want to feel physically threatened i just need to go down to the country store on a sunday oh. right <laughs> Yeah, there's different ways to go about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for you Spooktober folks out there, definitely recommend Little Misfortune, supporting an indie dev. I think the uh, one half of the husband and wife uh, duo that built the game, um, she actually provided the voice acting um, oh. for the main character of Misfortune. And it's absolutely charming, hilarious, um, just just perfect. It adds so much more to the game. So just a really amazing feat too, just for two people. Anytime I see a really polished, um, well thought out, you know, well written, just just excellently executed game that could have come from a bigger developer, I'm always just like, dang. So definitely recommend check it out. I played it on Switch, but you could even play it on mobile. Um, yeah, highly recommend Little Misfortune. But um, enough about me. What the f have you been playing? <laughs> Uh, so I've been playing a little game called Cana Bridge of Spirits. <gasps> I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, and still topical for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, still topical. Uh, but listeners uh, who may remember that we interviewed the voice actress for Cana Bridge of Spirits uh, a couple episodes ago, Ayu Larasanti. Um, so, yeah, so I've been playing it. The game came out mm, a few weeks ago in September. Yeah. It's out on PlayStation, PS4, PS5, and... Um, and and PC. It is a third person light RPG elements action adventure puzzle game. A little Skin bit of action adventure. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. I mean, I think this is a pretty third person action adventure is probably like the best the best way to name it. But like a lot of these games now, you get a little bit of RPG elements in terms of like getting skills and leveling up you get some light puzzles in terms of world traversal and uh moving through spaces and then uh you've got kind of like some exploration with the map and you get to like work your way through things nice um the game itself is absolutely visually stunning mm. like an absolutely gorgeous game uh, is developed and published by this team called ember lab um which they're a fairly new studio um they before this have they were before this they were an animation studio oh. so Cana Bridge of Spirits is their first game and so cinematic huh? exactly yeah I think you can absolutely see that animation studio DNA in Cana <laughs> Bridge of Spirits like the game looks like you know I don't know it's become cliche to say it looks like a Pixar movie but <laughs> it does it looks like an animated film uh, an animated film that you would watch in this day and age like it's very mm. high quality the world is very lush it's uh, ever the it's set in this kind of ancient sort of East South Asian inspired setting. Mm. It's not pulling from any one specific culture. Everything kind of feels like it's set in a distant past. Um, so like the, 
there's no there's no real technology there's uh wooden or not wood there's wooden buildings there's cobbled streets but everything's overgrown so there's a lot of lush green forests mountain area uh caves and caverns that you're moving through and darkness and uh a lot of accent like the there's spirits in Cana Bridge of Spirits mm-hmm. and there's spirit energy and all of that's signified with a uh, kind of bright blue, light blue uh, lighting mm. and, and coloring. So the absolutely, you know, look up images of this game. It's the coloring is gorgeous. Lots of uh, deep greens, brown, dark browns, and then those accented light blues and everything that give it just an overall really pretty uh, eye candy kind of world to look at. Mm. Um, as Kana, you are, you know, the titular Kana, you are a <laughs> spirit guide. Um, and I really don't know much else about her. <laughs> She's, uh, coded as being probably like teenager slash early twenties. So like a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she also has very pretty blue eyes, mm-hmm. dark hair, uh, voiced by Ayu, as we said before. But yeah, you don't really get a lot of insight. I haven't finished the game yet. I'm a, a little, I think I'm a little more than halfway through, mm. about maybe seven or so hours, six or seven hours. Mm. Um, it's taking me longer because uh, the big surprise to this game is that the combat is hard as fuck. Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, very challenging. Very mm. challenging combat. So as, as Kana, you have come to this uh, kind of deserted land Um where you're at first you're not quite sure what's going on but you're finding these creatures these monsters that are kind of made of dead tree and mm-hmm. stone they're very uh natural looking um but they are monsters they will attack you <laughs> and <laughs> you start to find out that this land that you're in has been corrupted by uh this it's it this it's this growing like viney dark gray sort of mm. dead looking areas where these uh pustules of red uh flowers and and they almost look like boils growing out of the ground will start to occur so there's this corruption that's spreading throughout the land you're here as Kana. Uh, we don't know why you came or how you <laughs> knew to come to this land, but you've come to help fight the corruption that's here. Thanks, Kana. And you're going to do that uh, by finding the spirits that are not moving on as they're supposed to and beating the shit out of them <laughs> <laughs> until they leave. Listen here, you. <laughs> it's time to fucking go. I mean, I'm I'm being a little like facetious, but that is essentially like what she does. <laughs> so so far I've discovered like two key spirits that you're working to try to help move on. The process of doing that is that you go to a section of the map, you find a character who gives you a little bit of backstory about what happened with this spirit and why they're sticking around. And then you work your way through the map and you clear areas of corruption. As you do that, you find relics Mm -hmm. or items that were important to the spirit when they were alive. Mm -hmm. You collect a few of those relics and you clear enough corruption and then you're able to go face the actual spirit you get in a big ass boss fight with them. You beat the shit out of them, and then uh, they move on. Well, that's how it works. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, but yeah, like I said, the combat's hard as shit. It's. Um, mm. I would say. I know Dark Souls has become like our touchstone now for challenging combat, mm. but it is very like. Uh, there's parries involved. Uh, there's dodging, dodge rolling. Um, you do have a handful of tools at your disposal. 
I hadn't mentioned yet, but as you're exploring the world, world you're collecting these fuzzy little creatures called rot, which we talked with Ayu about uh, when we had her on. But they're they're kind of these little black buzz balls uh, <laughs> that have cute little pink beans on the bottom of their feet, and uh-huh. big big googly eyes, and and little uh, kind of round edged teeth. They're very cute little guys, uh-huh. um, kind of reminiscent of the dust sprites mm-hmm. um, in uh, like Spirited Away, mm-hmm. but. You find them throughout the world, and as you collect rot, the more rot you get, it levels up your the abilities that you can do with your your staff. Kana carries this big wooden staff that's got a big blue crystal on the mm. top of it. Again, not super explained where she got it. She mentions at some point that her father was a spirit guide, but you know, all you know is like she's here to kick ass and take names later. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, So the rot will help you in your fight. You can do special moves with them. You can send them to kind of distract an enemy Mm -hmm. and, and then you can go wail on them while the rots like distracting them. It is, it is very, I I like the little system that they have with it though, because the rot, you can't use, obviously the rot is like a special move, but to earn the special moves, you have to collect what's called courage. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that, the rot has to get brave enough Aww. for you to be able to send them to attack the enemy. How do you make them brave? build up courage. Um, it's again, it's like the name is cool, but then it's like you just get it by <laughs> oh, either. Sometimes you can get it by parrying. Some t- it's mm-hmm. like a resource that will drop. It's just mm-hmm. like golden little balls of light that will drop, mm-hmm. and you pick them up, and that accrues courage for the rot. But it comes from parrying enemies. Uh, killing enemies or sometimes the large bosses will have these kind of golden spots on their bodies that are mm. like weak points and if you attack those it'll drop courage so it's like kratos's rage and god of yeah, war pretty much <laughs> pretty much um and so that's all to say like the the game is gorgeous I yeah. think it's a lot of fun to move through the world. The combat, while uh, you know, my partner's probably getting tired of hearing me cuss at my television screen, I am enjoying the combat overall. Um, and especially like as you continue to level up and unlock things, you know, you get a bow, you get bombs, you get different ways that the rot can intersect with those items. But I don't think I was hoping for more depth in the story mm. following our conversation with Ayu. And maybe there will be a point where we get where I get more. Like I said, I'm a little past the halfway point in the mm. game. So I'm hoping we're going to learn more about Kana. But where it's at right now, like she, she really just shows up. And I think the characters that she's helping are interesting enough. But also even the way that that's presented, it just it doesn't feel like the game it does the game set up so that you wouldn't have to care about any of that if you didn't want to do you want more world building yeah i would have liked some more world building i would have liked getting to know kana a bit more it Mm. also like most of the the conversations and stuff that you have happen by you walking like you'll see another character in the world you walk up to them you hit a button they'll Mm. give a line of dialogue you have to hit a button to move on to the next style like it's just not presented in a super immersive way Mm. and there's almost no conversation that happens when you're not specifically in these moments that you're interacting with other characters it's not like it's Kana's pretty alone and Mm. she doesn't really talk to herself or Mm. give you much insight into her interior world. Mm. So you're kind of just left to, and she's a pretty blank slate for me right now. Like I really don't know her motivations or why she's doing this or where she comes from or really anything about her. So that 
kind of it's making this more of a game that's like fun to turn my brain off with at the end of the night but it's Mm -hmm. not something i feel like i'm super emotionally invested in yeah um additionally you know they've built this beautiful world that's a lot of fun to traverse but they don't give you anything really interesting to find in it Mm. as i mentioned before you find the relics as part of the story you can also find things called memories. There's a few of them for each of the main spirits. And those are cool to find because that gives you more insight into the character that you're helping like to move on. But aside from that, they have all these other, like you can find chests, you can find barrels, you can find these things called curse chests that when you open them, it triggers uh, usually like a timed fight or a certain number of enemies that mm-hmm. you have to kill to unlock the chest. Uh, you can find all this different stuff, but you open it up and the only stuff that's in it is either hats for your rot, which is cute. Aww. It's really cute. <laughs> like I love putting cute little hats on the rot. Yeah. But the only stuff that you find is hats for your rot, which have no real impact on gameplay. They're just cute. Or currency to buy hats for your rot. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it. They There's need no- hats, Jamie. <laughs> they need hats. But it's just like all of that exploration just divvies down to that. So at a certain point, it's like, okay, I'm like fighting these enemies with this frustrating cursed chest. Like I was playing it last night and I just like I gave up on a cursed chest because it was pissing me off. And I was mm-hmm. just like, what's even the point? I'm gonna piss myself off with this for 45 minutes and I'm just gonna get some fucking orbs to go mm-hmm. buy another hat for one of the rot. Like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm really interested to see what this development team does next for sure. I think this is really impressive as a first outing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely worth playing. If this, any of this sounds interesting, like if you want to just go into a pretty world and, and run around and, uh, (laughs) Kana's double jump is cute as fuck. (laughs) She jumps up in the air. And then when you hit the double jump button, she spins in this little like whirly move. The rod are super cute. Like there's a lot here that's worth that's worth playing mm-hmm. um and the, that that I'm enjoying um but it is deceptively hard mm-hmm. it is a, like not what I was expecting at all for what felt like it was going to be a cute little short experience it's taking yeah. me a lot longer cuz the combat is really tough and and I don't think it's an especially deep game at mm-hmm. least not from what I've seen so far so a little bit mixed on it yeah. overall but not upset that I picked it up at all and really Absolutely. excited to see what comes next from Ember Lab yeah, it's like, like you said, they were a, an animation studio to start. So it's, it's like they went hard on the mechanics. It's like, y'all yeah. know how to make a game. So next now, the next iteration, <laughs> bring back that storytelling cinematic stuff, too. And then we'll yeah. have the perfect game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and transition over to our guest for you today. Hell Yeah. And that guest is Isaiah Colbert. Isaiah is a staff writer at Kotaku, where he focuses on bringing solutions journalism to the games journalism space, ensuring that their writing focuses on the folks trying to make the gaming space better and offering possible fixes or opportunities that can spring from gaming's many challenges and woes. Isaiah also shared some sage wisdom about recognizing when you're not ready for a given piece of media and learning to leave it behind and come back later, the importance of talking about games subjectively and from our own personal experiences, and how writing in the game space can often mean writing for an audience that doesn't really want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) Then we close out the combo with a thorough discussion of how the disgruntled protagonist that is Geralt the Witcher finally got Isaiah into a fantasy game. (laughs) We had a great time chatting with Isaiah, and we're sure you're going to love them too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Isaiah Colbert. (laughs) 
hello to our wonderful guests and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio. To start, uh, could you share your name and your pronouns? Yeah, uh, my name is Isaiah Colbert and uh, my pronouns are he, they. Awesome. And Isaiah, how do you spend your time? Um, if it's not uh, me doing doing a new grind at uh, Kotaku, writing writing all the good articles Woo-hoo. there, um, I usually either am just like playing Tetris on my phone, just chilling, listening <laughs> to school. some Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little old school. I play the Tetris ninety nine. I I can um I can hang with the killers when they like play in the afternoon for a little bit. <laughs> oh. um, it's either that. I I've been reading a lot of manga. I like just caught up mm. on One Piece, and I'm like now finally free to read other things so i've been reading uh, blue box and kaiju number eight so uh those have been like the main ones i've been kind of doing i like to take walks too i live Mm. by the lake in chicago so i do like lakefront walks and Mm. walks in the park and things like that so if it's not that watching wrestling or going antique shopping that's kind of how i spend my free time nowadays yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay honestly i'm glad you brought up walks because i've totally adopted like a nice walk is just such a great Mm -hmm. day reset great mental reset um i do my best thinking on my walks yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) and so uh isaiah you mentioned that you recently became a staff writer at kotaku congratulations thank you um tell us a bit about you know your journey into writing for video games like did you always did you did you always know that you wanted to write about video games um, I always like to start telling the story by like saying, cause I, uh, I'm from Chicago, but I was living in Cheyenne, Wyoming for a, a spell about a decade is a spell, I guess. Um, so, um, when I was like graduating from high school and like going into college, they would, they straight up were just like, what are you going to major in? I'm like, I have no clue. I'm just trying to get like the little diploma certificate thingy here mm. and then I'll figure it out from there. But they're like, you need to have the thing like thought of before we like write your application out to places. So, like, oh, okay. So I was either going to be a lit major or I was going to be like, uh, maybe journalism, maybe that might be the mm-hmm. thing. I like, Oh yeah, here he comes. Just like I said, he would, here he my comes. cat just jumped into my lap for everyone in the audio listening world. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so I decided on journalism and, um, like I never really knew what I really wanted to do, but I was like, I'm kind of an old head when it comes to like YouTube stuff. So mm-hmm. I would like watch um, Machinima ETC and the guys there, uh, Kale Anonymous and um, mm-hmm. Elliot and Ricky specifically would kind of be like my inspiration to be like, okay, they're just doing like fun things. And I would just be like really inspired by it. And mm-hmm. I would just like try to do that with like either the writing or the different things that I do. So they mm-hmm. were a pretty big inspiration for me. I like, especially starting out in like journalism for schooling it's always just like all right you want to do things for video games we're going to like try to classify you i guess but that Mm. would mostly lean in towards like magazine writing so like i i had to do a lot of the hard news stuff Mm. um so like the the um like going to city hall and like writing the minutes and like (laughs) oh here's this thing for this bill i'm like this isn't really what i want to do but at least the (laughs) training is like gonna gonna help me out somewhere um Totally. So TLDR, um, I kind of realized that I've like sort of almost overstayed my welcome really, or like I can't really peak in like Cheyenne, Wyoming. So I decided Mm -hmm. that I needed to, um, like I, um, took a year off college, paid my way to, 
uh, like pretty much have all my stuff sent out um, to Chicago, like by working retail for like a whole year. Then myself wow. on like New Year's Day. So mm. got back here. I was like, all right, we're going to finish out college. I like decided on uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Like that was the only one I applied for. And I was like, I either get it or I don't. And we just mm-hmm. go from there. I got it. <laughs> and then Oof. it was like, all right, cool. Uh, we're going to try to do the journalism thing again. I either get it or I don't. I got it. So I <laughs> did a little bit of that again. Um, and yeah, I graduated in um, on like May 14th of this year, like during during the COVID time. Mm, so congrats. I definitely picked picked a, a weird year to just decide to get my my shit together, really. Mm-hmm. So um, like I I did legal expenses to like buy the microphone and like do like the whole Elgato key lights and like green screen <laughs> background. Like I'll need it for work eventually. Got to, yeah. yeah. And so like for a while it was just like, okay, Okay, so my my like dream jobs would either work at a place like Kotaku, IGN, or Polygon, and mm-hmm. like it was always just like the pipe dream kind of a thing. And a lot of the times, like um, the college advisor would say, like, yeah, literally just kind of apply everywhere, and like that mm-hmm. kind of wasn't working for me because those were they would be the jobs that would be like the entry level jobs to like propel you to where you'd like to work. And mm-hmm. I kind of don't like to bullshit myself and like yeah. waste my time a little bit, so I'd rather shoot for the moon and maybe land on a cloud at like a place that's like close to where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And luckily enough for me, like uh, Patricia Hernandez was like one of the people I would just like show off like her articles to in class and be like, I want to write like this, you guys. And they'd be like, okay, cool. We're going to like go <laughs> off and be like Chicago Tribune or like um, big right. high profile like writers. And you can just, you know, figure yourself out somewhere else, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I managed to somehow make that work. I joke that I have like a stand, uh, hey, off and like um, steel ball run where things just kind of work out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm here. Um, I'm still getting the hang of things. I definitely have to play more games because like when I, every time I get asked, like, oh yeah, do you play this? Do you play that? I'm like, yeah, I bought like the Mass Effect Legendary Edition again, again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm playing through that for like the sixth time. I'm playing like new replicant. So I'm playing a lot of old games. Like I just touched um PS4 Spider Man. I'm just like, wow, this oh, is yes. nice. If I move to New York, it'll be kind of like this. I'm yeah. getting familiar with my. Oh, yeah. yeah, I got a tour ahead of time. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so real. I'm I'm always like, why shouldn't I play Persona Five Royal again and sink in 200 more hours? Um, yeah. But like. You know, I, I do feel like as a uh, as someone who's also a writer, studied journalism, and then ended up moving into, or sorry, I was studying writing, which mm. I can't conflate with journalism. It's two separate disciplines. But mm. um, as a freelancer, um, and like I really found that it was difficult to sustain passion writing about mm. something that you're not all in feeling about. Mm. And so like, I, I really respected what you were saying about, um, you know, you're going to shoot for the moon, maybe land on a cloud. Um, but you kind of had to, um, you know, for yourself, maintain this, this discipline, this vision, because people around you just weren't able to relate or see, you know, mm. the same thing. And so um, I was curious, like, did you find in, in school, like that people, when you said like, I want to do games journalism, like how do people react? Did they take that seriously? Um, or did you kind of have to fight like, for that? Yeah, it was like almost a thing I had to fight for a little bit. Like there were definitely like, it was less of a thing where I had to like, I was unlike not understood. It was more of like the like school complex kind of wasn't like geared towards mm. we're going to have writers ready to work for an IGN, a Polygon or a Kotaku really. Mm-hmm. It's more like we'll get you ready to work for like a local kind of an area, kind of a uh, kind of a mm-hmm. shape or do like gig jobs like here and there. 
So a lot of it was just like um, there weren't really those laid connections quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it was um, like I had to, to bring out the old LinkedIn. And I if I never have to use that <laughs> website ever again, that would be like the best day of my life. Yeah, but so yeah. Much. So like I had to like do a little bit of a little bit of networking. They taught me at least how to do that. And like I realized that like there was like um, someone who graduated um, from my college, uh, Matt Elfring. He's the um, one of the editors over at GameSpot. So like mm-hmm. I reached out to him got a couple like um dialogue i had i started a dialogue an introduction yeah. <laughs> really and like so i worked over at GameSpot for a spell like um coming out of college and yes. that's like while i was doing work there sort of getting my um my, my beak wet at um the, the <laughs> journalism over there um i like had also applied it like pretty much everywhere like i joke about like i was like up late like swiping right on job applications it's been like whatever at this point we just we just kind of need to not burn through our savings with this this nice mm. studio apartment that's overpriced because mm-hmm. it's by the lake um so but those walks though yeah the walks i i can't knock the walks that's like the one part i'm gonna be disappointed on when i eventually move once mm. that super happens so um yeah so a lot of it was just like trying to network there i like reached out to a lot of the people in the industry because i kind of wanted to get a feel for like what was going on because like mm-hmm. i've been i've been like a silent observer of things um i like talked to like people like uh Khalif adams on spawn on me to like mm-hmm. sort of ask like things like that i talked to janet garcia who used to work at ign just to get a feel for like what's the industry kind of doing right now mm-hmm. and just like talking to people at, like fanbyte and like even like um some of the newer people at uh, kotaku just to really get a feel because like i've always been like kind of a a lurker observer on twitter just to see like the goings on and like following the the like public figure people in the industry to kind of look at but mm. like it like it's it was definitely like me still being a student of the game really and just like trying to get a feel for like how things are because it wasn't like i like wrote like my kotaku introduction piece like it's not lost on me that a lot of the times like the people that you're writing for aren't going to be the biggest fans of what you have to say Mm -hmm. and i like kind of noticed like a bit of like the toxicity within like the game journalism industry and just the general just swath of kind of bullshit that kind of happens with uh two game developers and just Mm -hmm. uh, people who just really don't deserve it and like just taking all that into consideration and just like noticing how like a lot of the people i'm seeing in the industry like have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and like sometimes when they write like they might lash out at people who maybe don't deserve it or like it's just Mm. you've been in there a little too long so like Mm. there's kind of almost no light in the end of the tunnel so you Mm kind of get a little cynical so i kind of wanted to add something new to the space and like like whatever way I could. And mm-hmm. the one thing that came out of like um, my time uh, during college was uh, I like came across this like uh, field of thinking called a uh, solutions journalism. Mm. And essentially that is like any like piece of news that we get, any like news blurb that comes out, it's usually half reported. Like it's usually like the big bad thing happened here, sit with that and then wait for the news for the next big bad thing that happens. And like for readers, writers and everyone involved with the story, it's like, not really conducive to anything you just kind of feel like you are just waiting for the next bad news and just to doom scroll mm-hmm. throughout the day so solutions journalism yeah yeah so solutions journalism essentially tries to look at it like okay well these things are terrible but there are definitely people who are trying to work towards some sort of a solution to like make sure that this doesn't happen again so mm-hmm. um whether like and that doesn't have to be like a catch-all like it solved every problem it could be like a small thing like sm- uh, solving an aspect or of a problem or, like being building blocks towards solving that problem so 
that's kind of what I wanted to do with the games industry because I kind of felt like that was a thing that was kind of lacking or yeah. a thing that like mm-hmm. we usually have like the big Bloomberg articles so, like let us know the big expose thing that's happened in the game industry and like we don't really get much reprieve in between that until the next big Bloomberg article to let us know the other messed up thing happening in the industry so I kind of wanted to like not just to be like writing like fluff pieces to be like yeah I feel good about this guys I like <laughs> not ignorant that like yeah no shit is still terrible mm-hmm. but um like I'll still keep a level head about that when it needs to be talked about but like just to highlight like yeah there are people who are working towards even in small ways to make sure that the world's a little bit of a better place than it was um the day before so I got to like dip my toe in that a little bit. I um, got to talk to um, Mary Kenny about her book, um, Gamer Girls, where essentially she wanted to, she's a game dev over at um, Insomniac Games, and she wanted to write a book just highlighting all the women in the industry who've like kind of paved the way for people just says, not only like it's an inspiration for people who want to like enter the space, but as like also inspiration for people who are currently in the space that just also feel that like drudgery of just like the industry is kind of shit. Why am I here? What do I do hmm. next? Kind of a thing. So that's the kind of writing that I like to do here and there. I'll throw in a wrestling piece or some anime piece, but <laughs> honestly, like that's kind of the thing that fuels me is just to find the people who are trying to be the change makers and to, I don't know, just highlight them with, um, with, with my words that I post mm-hmm. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I think too, it, like it, it makes me reflect because um, I think when you love something so much like games, um, you can, it's really easy to get really emotionally caught up in the, the waves of somewhat feels like daily bad news. Like you could go into Twitter and within an hour get, feel really fucked up inside about <laughs> being a gamer. Um, and I, and I think too, like you said, uh, because so much of games journalism can be, you know, based on, um, you know, what's hot in SEO or what release is coming or like, it's just very time box and, and very much focused on what's coming. Um, it often feels like we, you know, you read about a terrible thing and then it's on to the next one. There's no time to sit with that, to think mm-hmm. about how it's impacting real people or to think about, you know, follow up, you know, months, years later, like what's changed? Like who cares? Cause we're already on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. so I think it could it could be really transformative um, and healing for the games industry to make this space to to think about ideas around solutions or moving forward and not just not just you know the next sensational terrible thing that's hitting the newsstands. Earlier, you mentioned, um, so you referenced your piece for Kotaku where you were announcing that you were joining as a writer. Mm. Um, And in that piece, uh, you mentioned that you were really excited about Kotaku due to your belief in Patricia Patricia Hernandez's mission to change it for the Mm. better. Um, And you mentioned Patricia earlier as someone who influenced you when you were still in journalism school. Um, And I wanted to just read a little bit of a piece that she wrote back in June uh, when she announced that she was becoming editor-in-chief of Kotaku. Um, We'll also drop that link in the show notes for for the folks at home. Um, But Patricia writes, I want Kotaku to reflect things that are real. I want to print stories that you'd be able to tell a friend about at a bar, even if they don't play games. The way that we talk about games on the site should be the same way that we talk about it in an actual conversation. I don't care if the language or attitude at Kotaku appears proper and respectable. Fuck that. 
games are human and so are we. Anytime there is a discrepancy between what we actually think and what lives on the page is when we betray not only our readers, but ourselves. I want to move away from treating gaming like a product or industry, instead examining them more as microcosms for the human condition. Games are worlds onto their own, often developing not only customs, traditions, and dedicated languages, but also their own vectors of power and influence. Games provide a crucial framework for parsing modern life, and Kotaku will now be an attempt to capture that. I thought that I thought her piece was awesome. It was really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, how does what Patricia's trying to build a Kotaku mirror the kind of shift that you also want to see in the games industry? Yeah. Um, so like the piece that I always reference from Patricia um, was kind of like her analysis piece for uh, Life is Strange um, 2. Mm. And what like really got me about that is that like it was not just like a review of the game at large, but like she also tied it into how it connects to her family dichotomy and just like the mm-hmm. politics that's going on in like the world, like during like under the Trump era and um, just like all the other, like other pieces of media, like um, knives out that like also touch on like um, being an, an immigrant and just things like that. And like being able to just like, not just talk about a game, like it's a product review you throw on your, like um, your five star rating or like whatever metric system that you have for it. And then just like being done and moving on to it. Like that's not really like, it's like it's kind of like the pump and dump kind of like PR stuff that like early mm-hmm. on in journalism, like that's kind of how you start out. Like you kind of learn how to do like the press release thing. So like you're aware of how it's done. And there's always that like there was like honestly a bit of intimidation with me getting into the space because it always felt like, hey, you get to cover this piece now. So it's like, oh, God, I have like a big responsibility to cover this piece because there's mm-hmm. going to be like a lot of eyes on it. So like I feel like I have to be like respectful to the audience, but also to like the piece I'm covering. And that's kind of like it's a bit half right on how I should think about things. Like mm. it shouldn't just be like me, like bowing down on head and feet, just to, like praise a game. If I like one, don't feel that way, like personally about it. So um, that's why, like a lot of the times whenever I write stuff, it tends to be either like a retrospective because I like to talk about things like aren't really like the button hot topic of the day. Like I like to look back and be like, okay, here's this thing that happened. Like mm. I wrote like a thing for like fan about like Nana. Like I really like Nana. It's a cool anime. Let's talk about it. Like why did it work or what didn't work about mm-hmm. it? So like breaking things down like that and like not really feeling like, Hey, here's a new game. You have to only sing praise of it because the Metacritic score or whatever is happening. So you have to like be on par with that. Don't like be like the outlier of that. So like, I never really like the pressure of like, one kind of saying the same thing everyone else is really saying. Mm. Um, there's always that like bringing your own unique perspective to it. Like um, my like first impressions article was about like gas station simulator. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of like simulator games. So I was like, I'm yeah. having a little fun with this. Like it reminds me of like retail and how like retail can mm. have little nuggets of fun, but then they also super can't. Mm-hmm. So like being able to like take that piece. And I was like, I don't know if I'll have anything really to say. That's like, I don't know like worth weight to people who are like actually in the like simulator game like sphere and i'm just kind of like a filthy casual who just plays tetris on the daily (laughs) so i was just like okay well i'll relate it to my life at least and like try to like draw from that and like add that to the piece so like that aspect of like what patricia says like um sits with me because i've had way more interesting of a life than i like care to really have at some points like i wish it were a little more boring Mm -hmm. not some uh yoshikage kira levels of boring but uh (laughs) at least like boring enough to where i don't have like some like era of my life that i have to like be like oh yeah this is what i was on this is the bullshit i was on at this point in time or whatever Mm -hmm. but like it it helps to like be in a space with kotaka where i can draw from that experience that i've had like 
writing about like, yeah, this is like Buford, Wyoming and gas station simulator. Like I never thought I'd reference like the, the like one poke guy in a whole town in Wyoming for like a gas station simulator. But like the, the puzzle pieces just kind of worked out like that. So um, yeah. we, we often to um, at Kotaku, like we'll see the news of the day and we won't just like immediately like rush to cover those like things. Like if there's like a new Fortnite character, like if Naruto is at Fortnite, like, <laughs> I might want to write that, but sometimes I'm not yeah. in the mood to talk about Boruto's dad. So, um, like, we'll pick and choose, like, um, what, like, actually we kind of care about. Like, and then mm-hmm. also, like, if it's a big enough news story that, like, people aren't really covering or, like, they aren't doing, like, the Kotaku kind of, like, flavoring of it where we add a little bit more of, like, our um, life experience into, like, why this kind of matters, um, we tend to not really cover it. So I also appreciate that because, like, there's also a lot of pressure to, like, look at like the news of the day, check out like YouTube, check out Reddit, check out Twitter and be like, Oh man, I kind of don't want to cover this. Like, Oh yeah, you don't have to. Like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Like the no pressure of like actually writing about things that I'm passionate about. And so like, there was even like moments where like I wrote about like AEW and they were like, Kotaku covers wrestling now. Like, what is this? <laughs> Did AEW write this? Like, no, no, no. I've just been a real big fan for like the past, like, 12 years so i kind of just needed to get that out and being like able to like pitch things that like i care about as well that like might not usually fit under the kotaku sphere but if like i care enough about it and have a good enough pitch for it it usually will like we'll workshop it and try to figure out how to um have it housed on the website so that's also an aspect of it that i really appreciate because like i felt like when i was in uh, college i never really had time to like the the game journalism side of me that like spark kind of got like beaten out a little bit mm-hmm. so i had to focus on like maybe more like politics even like covering the whole like election from last year was kind of the bane of my existence and now it's kind of broken me in a very special way to be like entertained a little bit by politics but mm-hmm. like i felt like that kind of gotten beaten out of me a little bit to where like i felt like i only really had like wait to talk about like movies and like um just like comic books and stuff because that's kind of yeah. where i was only able to really spend my free time like i've forgotten that hey i could pitch video game stuff but like it'd been so long that i felt like whatever i had to say was like six or five years too late of a perspective to really have mm. so in me trying to catch up with like the games of the day um and but still having like things i've sat on with like other pieces of media and being allowed to write about that has definitely been very inspiring because it's like i always feel like i'm kind of the black sheep of like the whole like games industry because my i don't really know all the newer stuff like i'm aware of it sure but like i don't have like that one-on-one experience because i still have like the last gen console so it's (laughs) it's been very rewarding to at least um sort of like experiment with my craft and like different other like different other mediums as well yeah i I really appreciate hearing that because i feel like it's almost unfair how games can take years to build like and it could be one person working on it it could be a whole team but sometimes it's really normal for it to take five to seven years for this game to come together and then it's put out into the world and it seems like its cultural relevance is such a short window where it's worth covering it's worth talking about and then the next game's coming out and i i really feel like people who are five to six years quote unquote, late to a game have really interesting things to say about it um, because maybe they've spent a lot of time with it or maybe they're coming onto it with the perspective of someone playing the game in 2021 versus 2015 when it came out. And like these games took years and blood and sweat and tears to make. So I, I feel like there's years that can be spent examining them and picking them apart and finding new things to talk about from them and, and drawing inspiration from them. And so 
I really appreciate this perspective that Patricia is speaking of and that you are as well, because I feel like it's a better way to think about covering games, like to think about it long form and not just the year it comes out or the season it comes out. Mm. I don't know yeah. if that resonates with you at all. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because like, definitely, um, there have been games where like I, there are games that like I've played that could be done in like a sitting. Like uh, I think of like um, Hellblade: uh, Sinnoh was Sacrifice. Mm. It's one of my favorites, and like I remember explicitly being like towards the end of the game, and I was like, I will now stop playing this game for two years <laughs> because I feel like whatever message this game is about to give me, I'm not like actually at that point in my life to be like ready to receive mm. i like kind of felt like that and a little bit of my bones like headed up towards it so like i only finished it maybe about like a year and a half ago and i was wow. like okay yes it's one of those things where like i feel like there are like moments where like starting like an anime like hunter hunter or, like doing things mm. like reading vagamon like one of my favorite manga ever like i always feel like i know about the thing but i want to wait to get into it because i always feel like i'm not like one, I'm, free, I'm probably not like emotionally mature enough to like actually mm. get the takeaway from it that I need to get the takeaway from it rather than it just being like, oh, that was weird. Like I I always like to tell the story like I, I got into Neon Genesis Evangelion wrong. Mm. I just got off of the high of watching Pacific Rim and I was like, I need to watch some mecha stuff. Let's watch some mecha classic stuff. Oh, yeah, this yeah. Evangelion thing, the cool opening that I know about. Let's watch this. I like finished it and I was like, I hated this. What is this? And then like five more rewatches later and going through all the like rebuilds and like watching the new movie and stuff like that. And like now it's like one of my favorite series ever. So it's like always that moment where I like, there is always the moment where the thing comes out, but there's always like a moment where I have to like check myself and see like, am I like at that point in my life to like receive this media and like fully appreciate it and like have something of merit to say rather than like, I just didn't like that. But what was that TV ending? And I have to watch the movie and all mm. this and that. Like I have a feeling I'll feel the same way about fate state night. I just, I just regret that I even threw myself into that series. And I know mm. now more than I should about the series, but one day I'll, I'll loop back around to it and probably have a different perspective. But yeah, I'm mm. just like approaching media and then like checking myself at the same time to just know, like, am I ready to receive whatever message this game is about to say? Do I need to like live a little bit more life before like I'm ready to like reach that conclusion for the game? So yeah, there was a stretch of time for um Senua's Sacrifice where I was like, I can see where it's going and I don't think I'm ready yet. So yeah, I think that's wow. important too, just to, check yourself too, not to just feel like you have to like binge the whole game and be done with it and get your like trophies and stuff like that. Like there's definitely like a moment where like getting that, like that um, number moment helps your mind goblins to be like, yes, yes, we've done it. We've achieved something. <laughs> but I do think it's also important just to like take care of yourself a little bit too. Like not to say like, you're not like mature enough to handle a message, but like mm -hmm. if it's something that's going to be a little bit deep and a little bit personal for you also like be like, take care of yourself and take a step back as well. Wow. I, I feel like that's such a self-improvement exercise to kind of have the awareness to be able to look inward and be like, am I ready to receive this? But also delaying the gratification enough to understand that like I can always come back to it and it'll be there waiting for me. That's some mm. serious self-growth shit. Like you should take this and take this framework out. <laughs> it's, it's either that or I'm bullshitting and I just have too much of like a spreadsheet of different like interests. So I have to like make sure I'm like tending to like watching wrestling <laughs> weekly or like reading manga weekly and I can't just like also play like i've tried to do a calendar to be like today i will read whatever manga i need to read yeah, tomorrow yeah. I'll watch whatever anime and then that never works <laughs> out i always just pick the one thing for the week so it could also mm. just be that but i like to think i'm being a little 
little introspective and that that's my take on that. No, I'm going to adopt that too because I have this, I suffer from the same affliction. <laughs> I want to, I want to play it. I just, this other thing got, drew me in and I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need to play Rocket League for the next four hours. Yeah, right. Just, you know, calm yourself down a little bit, unwind for the day. Yeah, there's, there's, com- there's something comforting. Sometimes my brain craves the same pattern that I already know and can predict. Speaking of games, <laughs> uh, we often ask folks on our show to talk about a specific game that influenced their life in a, in a big way. Uh, you mentioned to us The Witcher 3, um, mm. a game that you played during your first year in college. Um, you share that your friends famously know that you're just not good with getting invested in fantasy games, but something about The Witcher 3 just clicked. Before we get into The Witcher three i'm curious like what is it about fantasy games that just don't do it for you like i think it stems all because like my like my dumb brain was just like i couldn't really get into um lord of the rings like Mm. early on like my friends Mm. would like always want to like bend to the director's cut i'm like that's a lot of time like that's a commitment I don't think I can do that. in for I, a weekend. Yeah. yeah. Like, and like, there was like moments where like, they would like try to like introduce me to it. But like, I just, again, wasn't there yet to just really like accept it, I guess. So, like, I think there was like a moment where like, we went to go see the Hobbit in theaters back in the day. And I was like whispering over to them, like, how come no one knows that like the dragon attacked that place? Wouldn't like the small give it away? They're like, that's the name of the dragon. I was like, fuck you. No, it's not. <laughs> so like there was this moment where I'm just like, I like wasn't aware that like the fantasy writing can also be self-aware because like mm-hmm. there would also be like, I don't want to hear about a table being described for like chapters. Mm-hmm. Like um, I might get in like some like, some chapters of some fantasy thing like i'm just like not really on board with like that level of description where i'm just like forgetting about like the flow chart like character level things or like who's related to who mm. what's the what's the mm. thing here and there it's but um yeah so like it was always something where, like i just couldn't really get into playing like i'd like always see my friends like um even playing like elder scrolls or games like that mm. it's like i don't know it might just be like also my my lizard brain being like oh it, it looks like kind of an old game and i kind of panic playing old games so i'm like what are my barriers? What should I like look out for? Cause like I'm used to like seeing the whole uncharted, this area of the wall is yellow and a little scarred. You can go over there to climb it possibly. I'm like, Oh, can I? Oh, I can. <laughs> but like when it's like an older game, um, I just kind of panic and just like, Oh no, I'm doing it wrong. So like, mm. there's always that like other like doubt in the back of my head that like I'm approaching the game wrong and I don't want to mm. be like, just feel like I'm not doing the game justice, but like playing it like that. So I always tended to like, just kind of stay like a safe, respectable distance. Like you don't want to like touch the uh, Mona Lisa at the, at the Louvre or whatever. You just watch it from a respectable <laughs> distance. Like that was kind of my approach to like the fantasy, like gaming genre. Totally. But uh, yeah, um, I also got introduced to the Witcher three, like, only after like it won like the game awards thing mm. so like i had never heard of it's it like i was yeah so. <laughs> i'm like okay it's official this is the shit i should get into this i guess and, like i had like a friend because i was like also like doing like acting classes in college mm. and stuff so like my friend like um jake back in college was like this kind of like he was kind of like a jock dude that was also in an acting <laughs> class so i was like okay and he's like oh the witcher 3 is my favorite game ever like oh i like <laughs> okay like if this guy's really into it like there there may be a chance for me i might this guy there contains might be multitudes i don't know yeah, this guy has levels 
so like i like picked it up and like it was like definitely after all the like yeah this game's jank but here's all the apology dlcs to make mm. up for it so i definitely was living lavish getting like a whole bunch of free <laughs> shit uh playing the game but like <laughs> even when i like started playing the game like there was like moments where i was just like definitely earlier on like there was like the moments where you have to like deal with the baron and like i always tell my friends whenever they try to get into the witch like if you can get past that part and mm. all the gwent stuff because i just didn't also play gwent, oh, yeah, that gwent's was, the yeah. hard game you can play within the game That's yeah i was quite... it was a bit much for me <laughs> yeah. i just always let Geralt say gwent but then never yeah. actually do it when he talks to characters but like <laughs> i always tell my friends like if you can get past like uh the baron like the game really starts to open up and like that's the mm. part of like the game that's like one of my favorites like one just talking about Geralt in general like i like that i like characters that are just like they're they're the type of character that they are but then time also happens to them so they're either super like pissed at just like (laughs) minor inconveniences like he'll also grumble at a fetch quest that i also didn't want to do so i'm like hey i relate to that guy this guy's this guy's a little bit of me (laughs) so like i really appreciate it just like it's a fantasy world but the fantasy guy is kind of done with the fantasy world's bullshit already like from Mm. the word go so like that kind of made me be like okay this is like now super approachable like we're getting like baby's first fantasy game going here and like the combat like it's it's good enough you know it's serviceable um but like i just like (laughs) timing drives me crazy sometimes but yeah every time i try to come back to i'm just like i have to like readjust to it um Mm. people like i feel like it's almost the the batman everyone likes comparing it to the batman and arkham asylum games Mm. I just feel like it's the only like it's the gold standard of like comparisons for combat nowadays but like Mm -hmm. there was like that aspect to it I also just liked um just the lore reasons for the combat in the game like you have two different swords this swords for people but this swords for (laughs) monsters but then there's the cool CG trailer where he's about to attack a guy like what are you doing he's like killing monsters I'm like oh Oh, shit this guy yeah yeah monsters yeah so um like that part was really cool it, like helped me like it like gave me reason to pay attention to like the different game mechanics and like actually give them time to like actually read through like a lot of the menu stuff like i never got the potions down super well but i like was aware like hey i'm about to get into some bullshit let's like take a minute Go collect some herbs or whatever, brew a potion and just get ready for for some bullshit. Like, Mm -hmm. I appreciated that aspect of it. I like that there was like a whole overarching story to do, but I can also just ride Roach wherever I kind of want and just stumble Mm -hmm. upon something and like solve or maybe don't solve this village's problems today. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that like kind of freedom of the game, even though there's like the looming, like you, you kind of need to get to saving your daughter. Quit asking people to play your card game, please, girl. But like, I, <laughs> I appreciated that part of it. Um, just the world was really cool. I like witchers as just a concept. Like we're kind of just like the almost like detective PIs, but like no one likes them just because mm-hmm. they're just, they're just kind of an abomination <laughs> really of science yeah. and, and witchcraft <laughs> and stuff. So like, I appreciated that a lot. Like, I kind of feel I like there's a trans narrative there yeah, too of like yeah, yeah, yeah. they are forged by magical powers and po- special potions that they drink that changes their appearance and gives them new features. And they're both people want them around because they're mysterious and can help them, you know, fix their problems. But I also kind of 
reject them or don't publicly mm. want to associate with them. I don't know. There's a lot of like queer yeah, yeah, subtext yeah. there. They're like, no, go to Care More and where you can do your things with your your bars and stuff over yeah, there. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Right. You, you need us. You do need us as society. We understand. You're not ready quite yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I also like there's also like the um the dialogue options that you have. Like there's always mm. there's always been the thing where like people would like be able to see holes in that formula like with like the telltale games where like there is definitely a closed loop to your options mm-hmm. but in the witcher i like the idea that like you can do something and it could feel innocuous enough of a choice but then like 20 hours down the line like oh no me just kind of getting fed up by like giving people advice and I'm not going for it and then this one character kind of needed some advice and i was like you're gonna do whatever you want anyway so <laughs> so go for it oh no they died because i said do whatever you mm-hmm. want so i was like oh no so like it like taught me to this like it's like like the immediate like gratification of like the choices but at least like stretching it out was yeah. something that i really appreciate in the game um the romances too i like the romances and just like one how like mature they were about it just to be like yeah Geralt, he's also the 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 james bond of this universe in <laughs> hot tubs doing his thing shaking not stirred um sometimes he'll just hook up with people at like a tavern maybe he'll just hook up with a couple other other of the witches but you know um the the key romance of between him yennefer and uh tris was always the thing where i was like i didn't know the lore i didn't read all the books i was like mm. i kind of just enjoy tris because she's bubbly mm-hmm. i've since then become more of a, a seasoned uh gentleman uh and being like you know what? i kind of like the back and forth that he and yin have i like that idea like that that kind of playfulness that you can have with someone where like yeah it's almost negging but like it's like a playful teasing that like mm-hmm. you just both like we've been alive for generations so we just kind of fuck with each other like that so like i also appreciated that about it as well so yeah ah wow and <laughs> for folks Maybe I should have started out with this one, but for folks who are maybe not at all familiar with The Witcher 3, like, how would you kind of summarize it? Like, what's the general vibe of the game? Um, So essentially you're in like an, um, like some sort of, some European country back in the olden days. And like, it's the the time when dragons and monsters existed. It's historic, you know, it's it's historic nonfiction. Um, So... So essentially, like, you have, like, a land with, like, kings and different, like, regions and stuff like that. But, like, um, to sort of, like, safeguard people, there's always, like, an army and, like, different, like, people and, like, witches and, like, um, would, like, sort of advise the kings and stuff. But, like, if you need an actual job done that's, like, maybe too dirty or too risky for, like, the, um, I guess, the the bourgeois of the times, <laughs> the, the proletariat witcher, you, you can hire them and they'll get the job done. So witches are essentially, like... Um, a mutated like human being like the the lore behind them is kind of fucked up too like they just yeah. kind of kidnap kids mm-hmm. but we, we you know we don't talk about that watch the netflix movie with um uh, papa vesemir where he's yeah. like weirdly attractive <laughs> yes. uh, watch that one <laughs> um, but yeah um you play as Geralt. he's like a white-haired witcher who just you know he's already tired of the bullshit so you you don't have to go through the whole he's an optimistic link going through the world and like just kind of being disappointed by people maybe down the line he's already been disappointed by people so he's just like picking and choosing what do you want to do and mm-hmm. um so you're going through the world just kind of doing like solving people's problems taking bounties and like just doing the like with that but your adoptive daughter uh siri gets like she's kind of being hunted by these people called uh the wild hunt 
It's the name of the game. Uh, so, <laughs> like, yeah, so you're kind of on like a journey, like your main mission is to try to find her. So like you hop through like different islands or like different villages that have their own specific problems. And you're like slowly following the trail of like where she's been. Mm-hmm. And you like deal with like other people and like who try to form alliances with you or people who are like trying to like get you to do something else that like might be at like series detriment. So like you're kind of playing through the whole game. Um, doing that, trying to find her, trying to like also like you decide the kind of witcher Geralt is, even though he's mm-hmm. already like an old dog who like kind of is a bit settled in his ways. But you can decide like whether he's like an old dog with a heart of gold or just like <laughs> no, just uh, fuck the world is a fuck, a thousand dead cops, yeah, um, yeah. that that kind of a vibe. So yeah, you're kind of going through the game doing all that, and like there's like cool moments where like you assemble a whole team of like all the warriors that you like come across <laughs> during your journey to like have like a fight against the wild and stuff so yeah the game's really fun i i like i enjoy the game very much it was very very worth that game award that it got that, that time <laughs> years ago absolutely a lot to offer it's hard to believe that game originally came out all the way back in 2015 because like mm-hmm. it's still such a such a relevant and like it's people, new players are finding it every day. Um, it's from Polish developer CD Projekt Red, who folks may be familiar with from um, Cyberpunk 2077, which came out <laughs> earlier yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, but well, maybe we won't talk about that. But um, you know, knowing that it came out in 2015 and as someone who, like we were talking all about sort of, you know, this long form approach to games and um, as someone who's like a solution-based uh, journalist and thinker, like, is there anything that you would change or improve about the game? Is there anything that you feel like maybe doesn't hold up as well? Um, like, how are you sort of, what solutions could we draw from uh, yeah. from The Witcher 3? <laughs> um, I like, I'm probably not going to do this like entirely, uh, like do it its due diligence. But I do remember mm. that there were like actual like depictions of like trans characters. I don't think it was ever mm. done like in like a punch down kind of way but it did come off like it like playing it back now it might come off as like really like kind of a tired kind of a way to do Mm. it like they either just didn't consult people probably in doing it or like they just gave it the the old college try it we're Mm. gonna write a thing that we maybe don't know enough about so like a clumsy earnest try (laughs) yeah yeah so definitely there were moments where like that would be brought up like uh the witcher also just it's kind of stems into like just socioeconomic conditions of the people Mm. of the time so you you revel in that a lot in the game so like there was also like a moment that i remember where like there like you meet like an elf uh in the game and like as opposed to it just being like the high nobility elf that you're kind of used to they're kind of just like the poorest like most like destitute mm. people in like the world there because like either something happened in the world people realize that elves are kind of getting a better shake so they just entirely fucked up their chances at like social mobility so like they're just kind of slumming it and like the way that they handled that at least like, i appreciate it like one not doing the thing i'm kind of used to where like I get to deal with the hoity-toity elf who's just, like, talking down to me, but, like, being, like, someone who's also kind of a salt-of-the-earth character and, like, Mm -hmm. meeting someone who's also, like, not at their best, but then, like, the way Geralt would talk to people like they're people is a way that I would always appreciate it, because, like, everyone else in the world, like, they'll just throw tomatoes at you and, like, burn you at the stake (laughs) if you're, like, Mm -hmm. some other kind of a person, but, like, I at least appreciate it, like, even if, like, those kind of moments are handled a little bit, like, Little, little too rough, not enough fine mm. motor skills with a little bit too uh, gross motor skills with like the handling of the writing of it. I at least appreciated that Geralt as a character would always treat those people as people. 
Um, just because he's also just been treated like shit. So he's just like, uh, what's the point? Like also treating other people like shit. I'll just meet them where they are. So that would um, at least help curb or like cushion maybe some of the clunkier writing when uh, they handle either like um, trans characters or gay characters in mm-hmm. The Witcher 3. But that would be something where I would at least say like, hey, if we're going to talk about this, can we like have people in the room who live mm-hmm. this experience maybe have it be a little bit more genuine than like us just guessing from like other pieces of media that maybe also took like the the quick road to like write a character just by going off of like other stereotypes that have just been like perpetuated in the media so that would mm-hmm. be the that would be my solution journalism take for the witcher 3 <laughs> absolutely love that <laughs> just a just a quick quick hits there for you folks there's more to come you gotta follow isaiah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i might jump of. ship with the games writing who knows yeah no. oh my god not yet um uh, yeah i need a little bit more time yeah. <laughs> isaiah it's been so awesome having you on the show thank you so yeah. much for joining us where can thank folks you. follow your work um and keep yeah. up with you so uh, you can find all my stuff on uh, Kotaku.com. You can even, I think there's an option to like follow a specific writer. So like um, there's like a comment section we have on articles. You can like uh, mix it up with me in the comment section. Mm-hmm. I like to make jokes and stuff like that. I like to, I like reading the comments too. So like I'll usually pay attention to that. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Iza. Uh, so E-Y-E-Z-E-H-U-H-H. You'll either see me reblogging some cool fan art uh, I see or just live tweeting about wrestling or um just just to like so it's it's mostly me reblocking a bunch of bayonetta so you're gonna get a lot of that this week <laughs> I, I apologize uh but yeah i usually like just i don't know try to try to keep things like keep things fun so yeah i i mostly am on those apps you you don't have to follow me on insta i barely post much <laughs> anymore but yeah that, that's that's where i'm at it's the same handle for the insta as well Awesome. Isaiah Colbert, thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. Yeah, thank you for having me. Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, Isaiah was kind enough to remind us of the always important uh, missive to support Black streamers. Um, So this week, we've dropped the links to a few of the folks that we personally love to watch on Twitch. Um, And it's always super important to monetarily support your favorite streamers when and if you can. Um, But if that's not an option for you at the moment, simply subscribing, following, um, sharing their content, talking about them with your friends. Um, those are also great ways to help your favorite streamers grow. Um, also, if you do have an Amazon Prime subscription, there is a little known feature that you actually get one Twitch sub per month at no additional cost that you can use on any partner or affiliate channel. Uh, we did drop a link 
uh, for the instructions on how to do that too. If that's something that you have at your disposal, um, definitely use Jeff Bezos's money to support your famous <laughs> dreamers. Like honestly, every little yep. bit counts. <laughs> um, but yeah, go support an awesome black content creator. Get out there, um, support your streamers. Uh, we love independent creators and we think they make the gaming world a much better and more inclusive place. Thank you for that, SideQuest Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth and run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then in this spooky month. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back soon <laughs> with some more. Pixel Pixel therapy. Therapy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.